0: Guys, welcome to uh, episode 84 of the Jungle Brothers Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Worthington. We don't have T and Paulie here today, but that doesn't matter because I'm the one that you come to listen to anyways. Uh, we have a guest with us, Rawdon Dubois. Um, I'll, I'll let you do a little intro on your, uh, for yourself in a moment, Rawdon, but um, I, I've heard about you through the training realm, through mutual friends of ours, Jared Thatcher, who, who works here, our T practitioner, um, Luke Tulloch, who was on the podcast down, down the track,
1: so I know them as um, uh, Schmoosie and uh, Groundskeeper Willie, but, yeah, I know the two guys you're talking
0: <laughs> about, yes? Is, is, which one's Grounds, Groundskeeper Willie?
1: Well, who looks like Groundskeeper Willie? Luke. Jacked. Jacked. Off his head yeah. and uh, <laughs> a bit of a wrangler through the beard. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's Lukey.
0: Okay, 100%. And, mate, look, they've, you know, they've all had you know reasonably excellent things to say about you. Jared said you're a bit of a dick. But, um, wow, you
1: thank you, Jared. <laughs> Very uh, on point there.
0: It's Jared, isn't it? Mm. But you've got, um, you know, you're you're a known guy in the field. I've crossed paths with you back when I used to visit the gym that you were working at, which was Lift Performance Center. Yep, uh, which is no longer.
1: No, sadly.
0: Um, and I attended a seminar, The Evil Genius. Which I Chavez, s- yep. yeah you're wearing his t-shirt yeah yeah represent that was um that was an interesting experience for me because there was a lot of talk of steroids and things mm. like that that are, that are you know generally kind of
1: out of my realm right yeah um it's the f- it, it's like um everyone's in in the industry well i think everyone is intrigued by it you know they hear you know uh, elite sport is is riddled with it from time to time. You see uh, someone get uh, tested positive, so they're all curious about it, but no one really wants to ask about it. So that's the beauty of um, B chavez He knows the ins and outs of it all. So from you can just sort of sit there, fold your arms, and just listen and go, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Now I got a little bit of an insight uh, into how or, or, you know what goes on in that world. But yeah, it was a, a big seminar. That was awesome. That one. That was something you organized. Myself and uh, obviously Tommy and Taz. Taz is uh, Tommy Hewitt, uh, my partner in crime on our Under the Bar podcast. We've done over 100 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, the Under the Bar podcast, we collaborated with Flex Success. So Lizzie and Dean and and Dalton. Oh, yeah. Alan, I think, came as well. Uh, So yeah, those those guys are based in Queensland. And yeah, we did a seminar in Sydney and then up to uh, Queensland, I believe. So we did. Uh, yeah, so that's what that's what we did okay. I think the first one might have just been uh, I think the second time we bought him out It was in Sydney and in Queensland Yeah, okay Yeah, I think Can't remember, we've bought him out a few times But yeah, that one in Sydney was a uh, behemoth uh, I think we had over 100 attendees It was, it was crazy It was mad yeah, I was, was the small man in the room Yeah, there was <laughs> some <laughs> big boys there Definitely But it was really good Because it, it brought everyone from different gyms and everyone was sort of came together and it was it was really a uh, a very organic uh, seminar everyone just sort of come and you know what it was like outside we had the foyer and everyone was sort of high-fiving and yeah, and i had jada my little english staffie she was running around if you recall is that the tattoo i saw yeah, on there? yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah jada <laughs> there, she was running around like a like a crazy staffie and it was just yeah it was a really good really really good seminar and um the feedback was all pretty good yeah mate so you're an you're an online coach Um,
0: and my, my understanding, you know, looking from the outside without, without knowing you personally was that it was uh, most of the work you do is in the bodybuilding realm, Mm -hmm. but I took a a, a deeper look at your Instagram and I see there's not, I mean, there's obviously immense physiques. This is Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And there's, and there's a whole range of them and I see some bodybuilding, but I don't see the word bodybuilding getting thrown around a lot. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot more going on there than, than sort of
1: meets the eye for someone like me. Mm -hmm. What is it? What do you do? So yeah, I um, I oh, well, you know, I've uh, done my time at a commercial gym, no doubt. Um, well, actually, you, you didn't do your time; you just boom, open up Jungle Brothers, and there you go. So <laughs> I
0: did. A, I did two years at uh, under Clint Hill at Anytime Fitness. Ah, yeah, Clint. Yeah, yeah. awesome.
1: Uh, Another mutual friend. Yeah, working alongside him at Lift. Uh, so yeah, I did. Uh, I served my sentence at a commercial club, and that was uh, Fitness First, which is awesome. If you're coming into the industry, I think Fitness First brings a lot to that um to the table there but uh that was at Hornsby uh a friend of mine who you may or may not know Steve Bordeaux the conditioning specialist he sort of I did a show and he talked me into um becoming a PT and I went ah, I don't think so and um anyway a little short time later I had uh, changed careers and uh, became a PT full-time and a couple of years up at um up uh, at Hornsby and then met uh, Dane McDonald which some may know uh, your listeners will know Clean Health or Fitness Institute uh, uh, yes so worked well I was sort of the first one that came on with Dane uh, actually there was um, someone prior to me but uh, but of that sort of latest uh, incarnation of of I guess the Clean Health uh, brand I, I came on initially and then I uh, helped him there and worked uh, in Anytime Fitness and Leonid's where Clean Health was. I left uh, Fitness First Hornsby. I started then prepping a few competitors back when I was, uh, before Clean Health actually opened up. We were sort of between uh, Fitness First North Sydney, Bond Street in the city and then Anytime Fitness and Leonard's. So we had a few clubs. I was just at St Leonard's. Anytime Fitness, and then uh, Dane opened up uh, the Clean Health Performance Center in the city. So that was the first sort of club like that, really. Certainly in um, <coughs> Sydney, uh, there was Shredded. I don't know if you know Shredded Strength Institute in Perth with Kelly and Marty. Uh, this is a similar gym, all Atlantis equipped, um, a transformation type gym. So uh, a lot of uh, machines, but but racks and barbells and right. really all Alico Atlantis top end uh, equipment. But Sydney was, uh, clean health was really the first of that kind in Sydney. So that was awesome. And uh, I got a lot of exposure to more athletes that I coach. James can you may or well, may not. Some of your listeners may be aware of him. He's uh, an IFBB pro athlete and I helped him uh, get his pro card. That was sort of one of the early ones back in the days, which got me a, a little bit more exposure. Is he at the seminar? Uh, yeah, he would have. See the widest guy in the room? <laughs> could, Super could, wide shoulders? Yeah, he could have been. He, um... He rocked up and, uh, you know, uh, paid his respects on the day, definitely. Uh, so clean health in the city, started doing more physique prep, uh, but also did do was still doing um, just high-end clientele. Like Dane billed me out at a silly rate, and I took uh, on whoever wanted to pay the rate. So I, I was doing some uh, a lot of PT then as well and helping manage the club slash whatever I needed to be <laughs> my role at the club. And then left there and then focused, um, this is about 2015-ish, focused on the Dubois method. Really original name, just my last name, method. (laughs) Um, But exclusively on physique, physique preparation, so it could be for... Professional photo shoot, or yeah, any of those divisions in a uh, physique competition. So it could be bodybuilding, could be men's physique, which is different, but they're all essentially bodybuilding. And they're all building muscle to just fit into different categories, and um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. So I do um, weekly check-ins. Uh, I'm based currently at Well Gym, carceret in the city. I was at Lift Performance Center, but. I um, do a couple of PT sessions with some athletes I've coached for a while, but predominantly it's just skinfold assessments and posing practice. Uh, I don't actually build myself as a posing coach. I outsource to the likes of Amy Fox, and uh, she's a physique pro, and uh, Charlie Duker, he's an um, uh, ex-pro bodybuilder, so I refer out for posing, support my colleagues there. But we just get in front of the mirrors each week after check-in and just make sure everything's looking good, take a few uh, progress pics with them. That all occurs at World Gym, Castle, Ray Street. Uh, so that's the skinfold assessment and sit down and, you know, talk, uh, talk shop of how the week's been for them. But, yeah, all physique athletes, but it could be anything from a photo shoot to a, yeah, a bodybuilder hopping up on stage. Okay, so that's um,
0: – yeah, so I think I was getting the, the term physique mixed with the – there's
1: a physique category. Mm. within the competition isn't there there's men's physique yeah women's physique yeah correct. which is like
0: the beachy kind of uh short for the,
1: yeah for the guys definitely men's physique and, and men's fitness some of the federations uh, you might be familiar with that one but uh then you have classic physique which are the physiques like frank zane arnold uh, you know uh, franco those bodybuilders back in the day more classic lines so they call it classic physique where you have to be a certain uh, weight for your height, so they limit how big you can be for the category, huh. so classic sort of lines. Very proportional. Yeah, well, it's always proportional. Like anyone with a small waist, big V taper, you know, wide clavicles, good muscle bellies, is always going to win. It doesn't matter if they jump in men's physique with the board shorts or classic physique with the, like, trunks or the... the you know, the smaller trunks with bodybuilding. Yeah. If you've got great genetics, you've got great genetics. But some may be more suited for certain divisions and that's why they gravitate to those divisions. But uh women's physique is actually quite muscular. So it's women's physique is pretty much the top of the muscularity for women and then they've just reintroduced, I think, in the pro league anyway, uh in the Mr. Olympia, you would have heard of Mr. Olympia, you know, uh, currently, it's what Brandon Curry, but you know Phil Heath and uh, Ronnie Coleman, all these guys. Yep. So that particular federation, because there's different federations, it gets a little confusing. But they've just reintroduced women's bodybuilding. So this year, I think at the Olympia, they're going to have a women's bodybuilding again. So it sort of died for a few years. And I think there was a rogue Wings of Strength. I think in the US was a guy that started promoting women's bodybuilding again and running shows. So the the women that just love being pretty much bigger than. Us three in this room put together, <laughs> yeah. those women now uh, actually have competitions that they can that they can compete in. So uh, that's quite exciting for the for the sport of bodybuilding. And um, yeah, that's that's I think this year this Olympia is going to be the first uh, where they're going to have women's bodybuilding. I don't know how many years it hasn't been there, but women's physique was the the most muscular. But you're right, men's physique is the board shorts that beach look, but they're still pretty jacked. So it's, it's hardly you know, it's, well, you don't need any muscle for men's physique. You need a small, like you need the uh, aesthetics to fit the category. You want a small waist, great abdominal shape yep. because the legs are not gonna be judged. I mean, even if you have no calves, it's mm, your upper body is still good. You're still gonna win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, you really need the shape to fit that category. And if if you're a bodybuilder and you slip some shorts on, then that's not really the look. It's not a bodybuilder in shorts it is small waist you know really wide clavicles big v taper you know just and that's the type of thing like uh, i'll come across athletes that want to do a certain category it's like you don't fit that category you don't look like that you want to do you know men's physique but your waist isn't particularly small your abdominals aren't that very well shaped you got great uh, lower body like you should do bodybuilding where you can get more body parts judged and you don't have to have that tiny waist really wide clavicles and um really good abdominal shape if you will so and same with some of the female categories that you know it's like oh, i don't want to do bikini i want to do fitness like, well, you're not really muscular enough and conditioned enough to do fitness which would be the next one up from bikini you're more suited for bikini so you can sort of head into different categories i guess but I honestly think that you're just sort of more suited to a particular category more so than another category and that's usually how I recommend the the athletes think even if they have fixated on you know, an open class bodybuilder it's like dude you've got no legs like you're never going to be an open <laughs> class bodybuilder okay even if we like you've been training for 15 years and you still got no legs so you know, if the legs were going to grow they probably would have done something in the last 15 years even if you were doing everything wrong yep. uh, in regards to hypertrophy uh, and that's a different conversation but yeah so they have not done the dubois method yet <laughs> well i mean that, that like we discussed before we went to it. that's just dot and i's and cross and t's creating that infrastructure it's up to them whether they you know follow the plans closely i suppose but but jokes aside like you, it doesn't matter what training technique you adopt it's not all of a sudden you boom your legs are gonna grow like after 15 years of training the lower body there's nothing that's really you know and even jumping on you, you mentioned performance enhancing drugs and you know, anabolic supplementation, even going on that, it's not all of a sudden going to change how you grow muscle. Like you would have already started growing muscle if you had potential to grow muscle in the lower body. So for that individual, maybe, you know, men's physique in the board shorts might be more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm.
0: W- would you say, I mean, obviously, you know, I, everyone's aware that genetics play a huge part at the, the upper level of any sport. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, but would you say that it's, it's it's probably more important in bodybuilding purely because it is, or not bodybuilding, but in this in, physique uh, physique company, competition, yeah. um, purely because it is uh, an a, an aesthetic based thing. Like it's based on you know the size of your joints and how much mm-hmm. muscle you can build and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, like if you ask my opinion of of you know what it, it, what should be on what should be on stage at the end of the day and. I've actually judged for a few different federations as well. And um in my opinion, yeah, it's 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 a competition of aesthetics. I mean, the look at go look at the criteria and the 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 guidelines for each of the categories. It's not, you know, be in good shape and get on stage and give it a crack, which I completely respect. People have had a great transformation. You know, it's it's great to get up and I guess show your hard work in that forum, but re- it's not really about for me anyway uh having a great transformation getting up on stage you know like maybe do a shoot or get down to the beach on the weekend and you know people will appreciate you're you're in good shape but really it's this is a a competition of of like you said aesthetics proportions muscle mass conditioning for the different categories so i think for me that's what i want to see up on stage and if you don't have it would be like me you know trying to be a pro level Uh, I'm I'm four foot tall and trying to be a pro-level basketballer it ain't going to happen you don't have the genetics for that sport like it doesn't matter how hard you try you're just not going to be competitive against guys that are seven feet tall so it's um, it's the one sport I guess if you call it a sport we could call it a sport you call it a sport yeah I call it a sport definitely I refer to the the guys and girls as athletes because as soon as I do that you know they take on the the um, responsibilities or the thought processes and uh, the psychology behind being an athlete and athletes follow the plans they do the work they follow the food you know they they, they they're diligent with it you know so i th- i do that in part because i i do think they're athletes i do think it's a sport but it's also so they uh, take on that um mindset of an athlete but you know bodybuilding is the uh, physique competition is one uh, sport if you will that average joe thinks that they can Well, i'm going to train i'm going to take some drugs and i'm going to get on the olympia stage it's like no you're not okay because you're not i mean they're freaks of freaks these guys that end up on the mystery olympia stage i mean these the genetic you know how many people on the planet are pro bodybuilders for a start and how many are actually what 10 people 20 people in the mystery olympia stage it's like 20 people out the world okay no you're not one of those okay so taking all the drugs in the world i ain't gonna now there could be exceptions to the rule maybe they're a genetic uh you know freak but it's a it's so many moving parts to it to be successful yes you need the genetics but you need everything to be able to do all the training you know recover from all the training you know it's so many moving parts would go into ending up as the the best in the world Um, but it's the one sport where people always think that yeah i could could do that yeah more if if i I took what they took you know i could easily be no no you can't okay just like you're not going to be in that example of pro basketballer and dominate basketball at four foot tall. Like you just don't have the necessary genetics to excel at that sport. And same could be said for the, for the bodybuilding. It is 100% an aesthetically driven sport. And, um, that's the reality. You know, you could present, uh, the most conditioned physique for for you. And uh, I always tell the athletes I coach that their goal is to be the best they can be at that point in time, not six months from now, not six months prior, not last year, not, Two years from now, it's completely different prep, so forget about it. The best you could be at that point in time. And if you get the win, and wins can be fickle, you know, it could be, why well, you know, they're so close. I, I like that guy's, or that girl's haircut, you know, it's just a little, she presented a little better, so I'm going to go with her. That's first and second. Second place is pulling the hair out. Why'd I lose? It's like, well, because your hair was not as good as the <laughs> presentation is part of it. So it um, can be very subjective. At, at
0: that at that point it can be
1: yeah yeah exactly it is yeah 100 percent. because it's not i lifted the most load you know it's not well, yeah you're a clear winner it is down to the people actually judging you you know about, well i like a little bit more conditioning aren't like my guys and girls more conditioned for this category so um i'm going to go with that one or this one so yeah like i wouldn't hinge success or failure on placings it's just are you better than last time if it's your first time on stage did you achieve what you wanted to achieve great yes or no Uh, was it better than last time yes or no and these are all successes you know it was yeah i was more conditioned i I brought up my weak body parts and and yeah i will then be happy with what you presented don't hinge success or failure on a placing that's very important but getting back to the the genetics and the aesthetics that's the reality you can be as you know dialed in shredded you know your body part but then someone rocks up like phil heath you're just gonna lose it's no that's it you just got that advantage yeah it's just they're put together better than you you know Ronnie Coleman's like "Eh, okay I'm not even going to go on stage I'm just going to go sit in the back I'm not even going to go out I'm clearly but you know again it's that's if you're focusing on winning you know so it's it's yeah we all want to win it's great but always the best you can be at that point in time and um if you've done that, then it's a successful preparation and a successful competition, independent of the placings.
0: What's the – so touching on that point about people saying, oh, you know, people who train and then, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could pump some steroids and go hard mm. for a year or two. and
1: Yeah, you know, yeah I'll be on the Olympia stage. Uh, uh-huh, right. Yeah, so
0: this kind of misconception, right? Yeah. And, well,
1: they could be, but we don't know. Maybe. But generally, no.
0: But, but you know, you hear it you hear it with people all the time. You hear it, uh, you hear it in jujitsu a lot. So I'm, you know, uh, jujitsu is my thing mm-hmm. and uh, steroids are rife in jujitsu, right? And they're yeah. used obviously for performance enhancement. Mm. But in a, you know, a lot of it is guys are sustaining and girls sustaining really nasty injuries. So using performance enhancing drugs yeah. allows them just to keep training and keep competing yes. even though they don't have tendons, ligaments in their knees, whatever. Mm. Um, but you hear this thing where people you know, you'll see the the people who are winning the top competitions and doing amazing stuff and you know, some of them are fucking jacked, right? Mm. Some of them not so much, but some of them really are. And then you hear a lot of people be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, but he's fucking juicing, you know, like yeah. it it almost <laughs> like it devalues the whole thing. Yeah, like it's not like their
1: training or anything. That's
0: right. It's like he's just pumping a needle and then turns up to yeah. a comp and wins. So, you know, and I, and I being, so in the jujitsu realm, I know more about this shit than anyone else, right? Mm, 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 mm. Um, In this conversation, I know way less shit, right? But Mm. the, but my point is like, yeah, people have this misconception about drug use and about how it can, how it can just give someone this
1: huge advantage. Mm. Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I think, look, it, 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 again, context, like it does certainly allow, you know, more return on investment, I guess. You sort of have an improved recovery. Generally, these are all, generally speaking, you know, improved um, ability to, for training recovery, so you can generally do a bit more training. Now, is it the, the drug that's doing it, or is it the fact that you're just doing more of what you do anyway, and it's just doing if, well. If you could do more of what you do, you probably get better as well. So it's sort of like multifactorial, like how and again, what type of PED performance enhancing drug you you gravitate towards. And and this is by no means a minor expert in any way, shape, or form. So I want to throw that out there. These are just, uh, I guess, my thoughts and discussions that I've had with with those like you know Broderick Chavez, the evil genius. Look him up. He is uh, he does have a member site if you want if you're interested in all that type of stuff and. Um, but yeah, like it, uh, it's definitely going to enhance a lot of things. But it's still going to come down to you know your um, genetic disposition as to whether you get a lot out of the drugs or not so much out of the drugs. And the thing is, like some get uh, use drugs and they they have really profound um, uh, growth and uh, changes, whereas others will use drugs and you can't even tell they use drugs. They don't get much stronger and they don't really look any bigger. Uh, so it's 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 hugely um individual specific and how someone will respond um you know one of the things that makes a successful uh athlete on drugs is the fact that they tolerate the drugs well they don't get any side effects you know whereas someone else get a lot of uh of side effects because they have um generally all uh, we're talking about anabolics i suppose but they all have anabolic and androgenic effects. The androgenic effects sometimes are nervous system related so that we want those, you know, move faster, more coordination. You know, think of a, a young boy going through puberty, you know, they start producing testosterone, all of a sudden they can stop throwing like a girl and they throw like a guy. They can jump things, they can ride skateboards, they can ride bikes, they start surfing. Well, that's probably in part to do with, uh, you know, the improved motor learning from testosterone being far higher in the body. But um, but hugely individual specific and and tolerance of the the drugs is 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 another really um, big component to it where some can seemingly take um, the drugs and not really get any negative side effects just all the, the the positive side effects well the positive effects I guess it depends who you're looking at side effects. Uh, po- positive or negative negative, it depends context you know a hairy face and deepening of the voice for a girl probably side effects but for again to use the example of a boy going through puberty that's what we want we want to get some hair on the face and I want to sound like a man now so let me have those uh, seemingly side effects of right of testosterone and um, steroids so yeah, like, definitely, in a general sense, there's there's improved ability to build muscle, improved ability to recover from the workouts, uh, and then, you know, there's then nervous system-related uh, benefits, um, which obviously influences performance. And and within the world of PEDs and testosterone and anabolic androgenic steroids is they all – upregulate muscle protein synthesis to some degree. So you're going to be able to build muscle and recover a little better, certainly from training. But then they have uh, different classes within that and, and some will add more... Uh, water weight and volume and uh, training capacity others won't add that so much but they'll add more nervous system and strength related performance so again if you're in fight sports you know jiu-jitsu you don't want to go up a weight class but you want to get super strong then you would be selective about what sort of compounds you would use and you know that's a science in itself you know and um, those that have a lot of experience with that you know power to them so yeah, like within the world of PEDs, um, there's, there's lots of variety as well and you'd pick and choose accordingly if that was your thing, um, you know, to improve performance. But certainly from a, uh, definitely from a recovery, uh, from injury type scenario and peptides are, you know, I think in the US, uh, for, for sport they're banned, but certainly in Australia they're, they're becoming more regulated, but you could order peptides online up until just recently. I don't know if it's just, just, um that's harder to do, but in the U.S., s i'm i'm quite um, sure that you can just order them online and but not for uh, professional sports uh, athletes there's still like they' a ban on the the side asada banned uh substance um performance enhancing uh, substances so but certainly from recovery capacity yeah things that increase your um, growth hormone production the growth hormone secretagogues so you can use those and produce more growth hormone which is going to enhance recovery and you know if bones are broken these types of things a uh, combination of anabolics and, and growth promoting peptides or growth hormone itself could certainly enhance recovery as well so yeah, like if, um, you know, a professional athlete, they bust themselves up and they're back in the game pretty quick, eh, you know, they could be, again, genetically blessed with recovery, but there may well be something under the hood that's going on. But, you know, it's hard to say you've got to take it at face value until, you know, they're proven otherwise, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, without going into detail, just sort of touching on that, that topic of performance-enhancing drugs, yeah, definitely ability to build muscle, but then... um Uh, enhanced recovery capacity but beyond that depending on which compounds you choose can have different effects on more for performance some some maybe sometimes it's size you know you just want ones that put a lot of size on because you need to be bigger in a strongman competition you know the more weight you're moving around the better type thing so yeah
0: on the um you know from a from a simple, but, uh, just to finish that point, nothing yeah. comes
1: free, you know, like be aware, like everyone's sort of like, oh, I your drugs, you know, X, Y, Z, it's like, yeah, well, you know, everything has side effects, everything, there's always a price to pay, whether you pay it now, or in years time so that's you know you got to weigh up the pros and cons and whether you're prepared to uh to pay that price and what the price is sometimes it's obvious like suppression of natural production okay i can wear that well then it might give you fertility issues and five years time you want to produce babies it's like oh you have a lot of trouble and you have to go on ivf well that could have been because you're using performance enhancing drugs now so yeah that would be the other thing i would sort of throw out there in a blanket it's cool, and yes, you know it will enhance all those things. But understand that there is always a price. Some pay a far bigger price than others, unfortunately. But that's just the way it is. You need to be uh, prepared for that if that's your if that's the direction that you want to go. It's a great point. It's a great point. I think.
0: Um, I mean, it seems in the you know from what I can see, guys pushing weights to commercial gyms and stuff. It does seem like performance-enhancing drugs are probably more widely used now in general population. I think so, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Back in the day, man, it was just uh, like the meatheads at the the bodybuilders. You know, you'd see those guys juiced up, but and then no one recreationally. But now, like every festival, my god, it's like a physique <laughs> competition. The physiques there, they would win shows. You're handing out cards. Pff, DuBois, yeah, DuBois, yeah, DuBois. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the guys are just looking. Yeah, and they were were literally peak for festivals. You know, that's a legitimate... (laughs) Instead of a comp or a shoot... Well, that was Ziz, wasn't it? Who brought that about? (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, Rest in peace. Um, But yeah, like it's... uh, I think it's uh, far... far, I I agree with your point. It's far more widespread. And and even girls, you know, you hear girls in conversations like, oh, yeah, I'm using this, using that. It's like, okay. I mean, once upon a time, girls would never even consider using, you know, anabolics. Like now it's... You know, in so some demographics and certain circles it's it's you know, just, just so they look more muscular and they look good in a mini skirt when they go out on the weekend, you know, it's or at the festival again. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's uh a, a changing and it's interesting because the research, I mean this is this is new. This is we don't know, you know, by say we're uh, yeah, tend to be a research scientist but you know uh, the experts don't know what sort of effect this will have in you know 20 30 years time with recreational use of anabolics and it's really never going to be a, a situation where they're going to start like ethically okay we're going to run a cycle we're going to juice you up on this and we're going to see what side <laughs> effects we'll might we'll do it for a year so there's just never going they're never going to have a lot of research so there's all there's all anecdotal evidence that you know a young man dies of heart attack on the field, um, uh, you know, uh, suspected drug use, but it's, it's never... If you take that, you're going to have a heart attack. It's always indirect correlation yeah so it's hard to say if you do this this is going to happen there's a few absolutes definitely suppression of uh natural production for men so your natural production will will diminish over time so that's obviously there's a few absolutes that will happen but beyond that it's all sort of well it's we sort of they sort of see this they think it's to do with this but there's no and that's why i think it's it's not necessarily um uh the the implications long-term and, and the effects are not really, because there's nothing concrete that this will happen. It's, this might happen, it's individual specific, it's duration related, dose related. It's like, yeah, well, okay, there's no definitive, yes, this will happen, so I'm not going to do it. So yeah, it's, it's 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 a strange world out there at the moment, that's for sure. Would you say, so on that, say you've got people who are
0: using such substances and people who are not and uh, general population, right? People, you know, they're they're doing the same thing, right? They're trying to get a bit bigger, look a bit better, lose a bit of fat. Mm -hmm. Do the rules change much between those two parties or do things just amplify a
1: little bit for people who are using substances? Uh, Yeah, like you, generally, yes. If they were using supplements, you would prop, like that statement, more return on investment is sort of a good way to, to, it's not like you're sort of, I mean, you do. You are going to get above and beyond what you could get arguably naturally. So, yes, like you would get to potentially your genetic potential far um, uh, quicker using, using supplementation, I guess, where, you know, unenhanced or natural, you may still get there, but it might take quite a bit longer. That's one way to look at it. But then also you, it might take you above and beyond. And a lot will consider you know, ordering supplements online and, and, and doing these things when they have actually been training a while and they've maximized what they feel is, is their genetic um, limitations to the environment that they're in and then they're, you know, for whatever reason and, you know, it's the type of thing, uh, you know, like, um, like oh, I want to I play sport and everyone encourages it. Oh, yeah, well, let's take you to practice. You know, you want to kick the ball, let's get you a soccer ball. I want to look jacked oh no no you got something wrong your body just more be, be content like you can't no no don't pursue that that's that's wrong or whatever but it's like well no this is what i for whatever reason i i want to change the way i look i like a more muscular physique and that's what i want to do but yet it's demonized and damon hayhow from recomp um you know i've had this conversation with him and i think he might have spoke about it on his a podcast we have with him but you know he he put it so well in that man just like looking jacked. You like looking like dad bod. That's cool. I like having Your point six me, pack. I'm <laughs> no, a child. I'll make tie over that. Yeah, um, chubby tie. <laughs> you know you're content doing with that. That's, that's awesome. But I like to you know have weigh fifteen kilos over my 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 normal weight, and I like to have a six pack. I like to be strong in the gym. You know, when there's all sort of this this stigma that's associated with it that it's wrong and you shouldn't you should be content with how you look and all the well, cool, like you are, that's excellent. But this is what I like to do. I like to train, I like the structure. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So it's really you know, someone's uh, decision to train and do all those things is completely theirs. It doesn't necessarily have, have to be driven by eating disorders or body dysmorphia or some sort of psychological issue or you got aggression, whatever, all these things that come along with, you know, training and meathead at the gym. And it's Stigmas. like, yeah, I think it's far more widely accepted now that, you know, the training and staying in shape. But whatever the reason is, you know, if, if an individual, um, chooses to improve their body composition or put muscle mass uh increase, increase their muscle mass then that is what it is and if they want to do that that's that's their decision i respect that and that is an environment that they then may start looking at supplementation for whatever reason they're still not content you know uh then i can sort of relate to potentially using and assuming they're not at uh, you know elite sports and athletes and they're not drug cheats and all that type of stuff, but I can relate to uh, an individual pursuing that if they're still, you know, the quality of life goes up, they're happier, they're, you know, more energetic, they recover better, they can do all the training they want to do, they're just a better version of themselves. And, And often... Like some compounds, there is an associated aggression, which can be great for a BJJ, you know, get increased uh, training aggression and, and uh, get in the ring and fight. So, certain compounds definitely in that performance enhancing drug world can enhance that effect, and it could be good for training, just doing all the training that you have to do, definitely. But there seems to be this. When you look at um, testosterone replacement therapy or testosterone therapy, which again is a taboo, oh, you're taking steroids. It's like, well, I don't produce testosterone like you do, and you can, you're fine on your level. I don't, and I, and I and I feel like crap, potentially. And um, you know, it's it's oh, you know, you, you get increased uh, aggression, and uh, if you go on testosterone therapy and all these types of things, it's like, well, what do you think is going to be the more aggressive individual, or? The uh, emotional erratics, a guy that doesn't produce enough testosterone, he's not feeling like a like a, a man, pretty much, you know, because you're not, you don't have that inherent uh, testosterone uh, at a level that you get all the benefits. You know, your cognition is is down, you, your thought clarity and these types of things is compromised. Your libido, you don't have a libido, so you don't feel like a dude because you're not interested in in your partner. So that puts a strain on the relationship. You beat yourself up about that. You know, you might be overly emotional because you might have a higher estrogen than because your testosterone. uh, Testosterone ratio to estrogen could be out of whack. There could be a multitude of of emotions that come along with that and and just unhappy with things. Uh, Your day-to-day energy, uh, recovery capacity to training, all these things can be affected. I think that individual might be more moody and more likely to get in fights and, and arguments with wives and beat up partners and uh, all these types of things than someone that supplements some testosterone, albeit okay through a uh, a doctor and monitored. But you know they're going to be far, They're going to you know they increase libido. They're going to feel better. They're going to headspace is going to be better. They're going to have confident. more energy, confident. Exactly, feel like a man should you know day to day so I think of those two situations the one that was on testosterone therapy is actually going to be the one and I'm speaking for a personal experience here as well and I am on testosterone therapy monitored through a doctor so yeah I can completely relate and it was a life changing type uh, situation for me which was a few years ago now but um it is becoming a, like in the US i think it's, testosterone replacement therapy is a little more acceptable but um it's, a lot of the doctors are apprehensive about um tackling it here and certain doctors will specialized in it um but yeah it's it's and it's super common you know men with with low testosterone values and be it the environment that we live in the toxicity we could sort of hypothesize the various reasons but for whatever reason it does seem to be uh, quite right widespread and one of the things i do with athletes i coach uh joey is that i run blood work and a lot of um the athletes i coach are actually other pts and the you know the amount of uh guys that i've actually referred on to the doctor that 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 i see and that are now getting treated for for low testosterone is is astonishing you know like there's, there's there's legitimate lots of them so it's uh super uh common and um you know something that that really shouldn't be frowned upon and uh you know in time hopefully it's more uh, accessible for men and um you know especially in a in an area where you know mental health and uh these types of things are so prevalent and and, and focusing on it I dare say if 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 you you know get them a shot a test a week they're gonna all be feeling pretty good and would have far less suicides and everyone would be uh far happier it's an interesting case yeah. A, yeah. We get a petition going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so on that, let's, uh, let's drill down into the, well, actually before I, before I want to, cause I do want to get you to cover the basics of this realm, right? Building muscle, losing fat. Yep. Sure. The juicy stuff that you probably find yourself repeating to folks every fucking day, yeah. simple rules, you know, yeah. that we've all heard before, but but things that need to be reiterated. Sure. Um, but I wanted to ask. This is I was having a, a conversation with a, a mate of mine yesterday, who's a was a CrossFitter in the past. That doesn't make him a bad person. That's no, that, fine. That's right. We'll man. accept him. Yeah. yeah, And he's he's kind of um, evolving out of that a little bit. He's finding, you know, he's, he's digging sort of the movement stuff and this combination of of things and looking at it from a more holistic perspective. Yep. But we're talking about it and how um, even amongst all of that. I think I was telling him you were coming on the show and he's like, man, it's so funny. Like with all the stuff I do in my training and all the, you know, the handstands and the mobility and the health. And what, he goes, I still just want to be jacked.
1: <laughs> yeah. Who and does
0: uh, right? And this was, you know, and this was for me too. I'm like, always like I want, like I was very in the movement realm for a period there. And and the, if you're in the movement thing, it's all about the movement apparently. Mm-hmm. But under the, you the know. muscle like, mass
1: probably not going to help you be less movement. Yeah. There's probably a
0: point of diminishing returns. However, a mm. lot of it's very strength based and a lot of it is also, there's an aesthetic that goes with it. Yeah, And, uh, man, you look at the guys in there. They're jacked, right? They're not all of them, but it's, it's obviously valued by the individuals in that community. However, no one talks about it because mm. culturally it's not, it's not what we're interested in. Yeah. Right. Um, again oh, that's
1: stigma again isn't it
0: it is and it's and it's this it's this push against bodybuilding because there's always been a push against bodybuilding because mm. bodybuilding was the first mm. kind of dogma in mm. the fitness thing i think right um you know you look at uh you look at guys like paul check mm. you know he's he's the guy for functional holistic mm. whatever but the guy's jacked right like year round i don't know how old he is now so my point is is like we all, not that it's the main emphasis for, for everybody's training, yep. right? But it plays this part and everybody likes to look a bit muscular and, you know, have however, A bit of
1: tone and definition. Yeah. What's, uh, what's with that? Look, I think, uh, well, I think our society has a lot to, um, uh, a lot of influence on that. Like everywhere we look, there's, there's billboards. And so I think there's a lot of- uh, uh, standards put out there that we sort of see as the norm, and certainly Instagram. And you know, it, it's it's like now we're seeing more and more that the wait a second, you know, they're they're using you know Photoshop on the abs, and there's all sorts of things. But but whatever that, whether that's the reality or not, or whether what we're seeing on on the billboards and advertising and and Instagram is actually the real thing, it it is still exposure to, you know, what is what we perceive to be the norm so i think there's this sort of gold standard of what a physique should look like it in general which is is arguably not really um a true reflection on you know what physiques actually are i mean a lot of the time they're you know uh, photo shoot ready or they're you know occasionally you'll read a uh, a piece where different you know these insta celebrities or people that run a business, guys and girls that run a business based on uh, aesthetics and looking a certain way, and what they actually do to maintain it—it's it's pretty. It's like doing a comp prep, you know, all year round. It's pretty, uh, pretty uh, challenging for for you know anyone to do that. But it's what they do to stay in shape to have the business that they do. So it's not really a, a realistic. Um, uh i guess image to to try and achieve i think a, a lot of the images on uh, social media and uh and uh what we see around us so i think that may well be influencing why we all want to sort of look a certain way because that is what we perceive to be well that's the standard you know we should have a six pack and you know look good but really um i don't think that's attainable for like if your listeners are probably like yeah i would like that we'll Okay, the guys and girls that I coach, some have abs all year round, and you know they're less defined in the off season. But most don't. They look there's no abs, there's fat there, and their body fat isn't very high, but they don't have abdominal definition. Like what I think most people are looking for is actually that for men, that's the last place to come in. So they got to get effing peeled, then they get their abs. So if you were to come if you were to comprehend what's actually involved to achieve that look that they think is normal and well that's what I like. I just want a six pack. Oh just a six pack. All right. <laughs> well, let me explain what's involved. That's the pinnacle. Yeah, it's it, and and that is like almost the hardest to get a six pack because we can't spot reduce body fat. It's like I just want to get a six pack here but I don't mind if my legs and arms aren't as lean. Well, it don't work like that. You know, really it doesn't. Some do, some are just similar body fat all over the body but usually for men sorry guys that's the last place to for women the butt and the thighs that's the last place to dial in so i think you know having a realistic expectation yes you probably like i will also throw out there there shouldn't unless there's an underlying health concern or some sort of genetic uh, predisposition, everyone should be able to get a six-pack at some stage. Will it take a lot longer for a variety of reasons for some individuals? Absolutely. Can some do it far easier? Yes. Can some maintain a six-pack? Yes. Genetically, they they may well have a predisposition to staying very lean, but then you look at their lifestyle, they're you know, very, very consistent with everything. They've got a big activity every day. You know, day. They're a builder on the tools. They burn a lot of calories. So there could be a ton of reasons why they stay in shape, but everyone should be able to get that six-pack uh, definition that they're after, an abdominal definition, that muscular look. It's just whether... No, the reality is it's not attain, like it's not attainable all year round. Like you can't maintain it's kind of unsustainable, unsustainable. Exactly, like it's, and I often get this with the athletes I like coach. It's like, oh, hey, coach, I'm going, I'm going to maintain this afterwards, and it's like, well, the last two preps you didn't, but okay, cool, no worries. Well, let's just do the show because I feel like I feel like I look so awesome. Yeah, it's like I'm just, just gonna, I'm going. gonna, I'm gonna keep these abs, and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, you're doing 90 minutes of cardio on 1400 calories at the moment, training seven days a week, so you're you gonna keep doing that. Afterwards, I oh no no no, I can't do that. Okay, well, how on earth, if that is the environment that produces the six pack and the abdominal definition and the muscularity that you want to keep, how? what magically is going to happen post-comp where you can maintain it, not doing that. It's like the biggest loser. They go into the house, they lose the body fat, they go out of the house, they go back to the same things they were doing before and they gain the fat. Oh my God, you know, the biggest loser doesn't work. It's like, well, no, you're in a house where there was nothing in the fridge that you could pig out on. You had a trainer every day. You you got told to wake up at a certain time. You were consistent with all your meal times. Uh, So in that environment, yeah, it produced the result of losing all that body fat. But if you were to... Uh, replicate that environment out of the house, then you would maintain it, but they don't. They go back to doing what they were doing and they gain body fat. And it's like, mind blown. I don't know why, you know, it didn't work. Sean's lying to us. Yeah, it didn't work. It's like, no, you went back to doing what you were doing before. Definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That is one you could throw out there. Like how on earth, like something's got to change for you to produce a different result so i think maintaining a lean physique and certainly a muscular physique is absolutely attainable some can do it easier than others but i think be realistic with your expectations but to answer your actual question i think it's just that we get exposed to all these images everywhere we look even i succumb to it you know uh you know i'm looking up you know geez, i should probably lean out a little bit look at these guys i said no well, hold on no i'm not in a prep I'm, I'm content you know i'm in decent shape that's fine for me right now but I have competed a few times, so I certainly have had the the very, very lean conditioning. So once you've been there and you know what's required to get there, I get occasionally get asked, hey, man, when are you going to compete again? It's like, oh, my God, OMG. Like, it takes me about eight months to get ready and my, my world stops for eight months. If I ever got that uh, uh, option to stop everything for eight months, yeah, I probably would. So I don't even know if I would ever compete again simply because it's such a monumental task for me to get ready. Uh, so, yeah, it's... um. I think it's just what we're exposed to, man. We just see it everywhere, so we, we, we all want that. But it's also we know that it's you know healthier, being leaner. You, all your health markers will improve to a point. You know, being um, in shape. So there's tons of other uh, physiological benefits to it. Wins on so many levels. Being in shape and keeping your body fat level at a respectable level.
0: And respectable being there, I'm guessing there is a point, obviously, where it, where it inverts. And it becomes okay, now you're in like poor health because you're not poor health, but yeah,
1: you, like I, I did I, I, I get a few mentors that like I'm always hashtag always always learning is one of my hashtags <laughs> on Instagram. and I, and I have mentors like you mentioned Broderick Chavez, I still talk with him weekly. So I mentor with him weekly. Mano Henselman's, if anyone, uh, give this guy uh, arguably the one of the smartest dudes on the planet when it comes to body composition and training and everything else. Mentor with him um, uh, regularly as well every fortnight. Uh, it was weekly pre-COVID, but I've had to streamline things a little post-COVID. But, uh, and then I, I'm always consulting with other pro bodybuilders. I'm always learning. And I, and I spoke to um, Menno about this, and, and, and he sort of, if you think about it, it's like, okay, there may be like that extreme end where you are very low um, body fat that it sort of starts becoming, but it's a very um, acute point at the end uh, generally, you're still, even though you're doing all that training uh, and everything else, and, and testosterone levels tend to decline. That is one way that the body can lose muscle mass because less testosterone, there will be less muscle mass. Uh, so the body wants to lose muscle. It doesn't want to keep muscle uh, because you've got no food coming in, you know, and very high output. Well, high output weighing this way, this doesn't make sense. So ramp down testosterone, you'll lose muscle mass. So the body will fight you at every opportunity. So yes, there is a, Point where you know hormones and stuff are, are, are going to be compromised, I guess. But you have a look at you know your insulin sensitivity. You have a look at your cholesterol values. You have a look at all the other cardiovascular system. All these things are upregulated. That's there. You know, it's it's you're healthy. You know, there are a few things that are arguably you wouldn't want to sustain that. But compare it to someone that's uh, obese even with all that training, with declining testosterone levels, your blood markers and internal physiology, what's happening under the hood, to, to quote B. Chavez, is still far healthier than someone that's that's overweight and, and you know has high cholesterol, high blood pressure, you know uh, poor insulin sensitivity, et cetera, uh, chronic inflammation. All these things are far more unhealthy and, and more conducive to uh, health problems than... You know the training and the the lower testosterone and the the different you know the high cortisol levels from doing everything that you're doing in a caloric deficit so yes i would agree and this is a conversation i reference manner because it's something we discussed i was saying what you were saying oh yeah but it comes becomes unhealthy at the end and you said well you look at blood markers and everything else yes a few are trending downward unhealthy long term but everything else is far better so it's uh yeah like yeah i mean we could argue psychologically it's probably uh, very um not a good place to be in towards the end of prep been obsessing about food and you know all the other things that come along with it but but a lot of uh physiology will actually be better the leaner you are so yeah it's context and how you look at it i suppose would to answer that question but definitely some things are trending downward. you wouldn't want to stay in that environment for an extended period definitely
0: well put, well put. All right, take me to the uh, take me to the the, f- the fundamental laws now. Tell me for about building muscle. Building muscle.
1: Yeah, I uh, again. I think there's um, many many. I think anything will work for uh, for a, a period, and and that's what I always uh, tell anyone that asks about. Oh, I, I'm doing this program. What do you think? I said, Well, it's great until so it stops working. Uh oh well, you know should I change this well it depends you know there's a lot of scenarios where that's my response it's um it's more i guess understanding the fundamentals what to change when things stop working when you've been doing a program but you have started to plateau what variables do we manipulate what where do we put thought and consideration and how do we get the most return on investment i think is know where you if you understand the, the the those basic fundamentals where it can be applied uh but really anything you have a hiatus from training so you you obviously train a lot but say you go have a month off come back doesn't know what you do it's all going to work you're going to gain muscle but then you know that's going to work for eight points and then what do you do from there or what do you do while training to continue progression i guess in regards to um increasing muscle mass so i think um, again, before we went to where the big thing I said was, well, you know, I, I create an environment that's consistent and structured, and I think those that are diligent with applying themselves to the process get the best results over time. And you get good data, and you can choose what to manipulate: what goes up, what goes down, what do we change? So I think the first sweeping statement I would would say in regards to building muscle mass is just uh, pick a program, be consistent with it, you know, and I suppose. W- We'll cover uh, the back end. So this is assuming that your sleep's good. That's not a problem. And these are things you would look at if everything else that I'm going to articulate uh, my thoughts on, and um, there's probably many others, but I'm going to give you a few thoughts on what I think in a training environment is going to produce uh, an environment for hypertrophy. But this is... Under the assumption that everything else, uh, the back end lifestyle is all set up, that's sufficient to drive hypertrophy. But that would be things like: Are you sleeping enough? You know, if you're not sleeping, that's known to be uh, compromise your ability to gain muscle mass and, and lose fat mass. And, and the percentage of how much uh, body weight you lose, how much is muscle and how much is fat, will be influenced by whether you're sleeping more or less too. So you might may well be losing weight. But a lot more of it could be muscle if you're having poor sleep. So if you want the weight that you're losing to be predominantly fat, then you probably want to get a good night's sleep. So sleep, um, there's nothing wrong with your testosterone levels. Um, you know, you're eating enough protein, you get that minimum protein target. Uh, and What's, that, what's your... Re- well, preferred again, preferred if, you, if you wanted the, the hard facts, you could probably say 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kg body weight uh, per day. Mm -hmm. They can be split anywhere from three to, you know, how many meals you want, but probably less than three meals. You probably don't want to go for hypertrophy because there is an onus to continue amino acids hitting the bloodstream to fuel that elevated muscle protein synthesis. So any uh, fasting period is probably not going to give you uh, the best environment for sustaining that uh, growth that you initiated from the training session. So 1.6 to 1.8 grams, but you can just round it up two grams if you want to, or on the side of caution and make sure you've got plenty. So someone that's 100 kilos would eat about 200 grams of protein a day, and that should be enough. Now, there may be situations where you might increase that a little or decrease it a little. Back end of prep, um, using PEDs can also influence it depending on um, you know what your thought process is with that, with greater uh I guess, less muscle breakdown on PEDs, so you can get away with less protein, believe it or not, and uh, feed additional calories more to carbohydrates that that could invariably improve training performance. Or you can increase it for an athlete on PEDs simply because muscle protein synthesis uh, upregulates on PEDs, so do you accommodate a higher... uh, I don't know if we've got any listeners who pump people. Yeah, no, so so I was just sort of painting a picture where there's there's lots of back-ended things that can influence uh, whether you have the ability to, to grow or not. So assuming that there, your sleep, nutrition, everything else, stress is controlled, no chronic inflammation, these types of things, you're not of ill health, no underlying health disorders, and we're just training. So I think anything consistent will work initially then when it stops working you want to basically think about things like what's happening with the the training that you are doing like your work sets so let's assume that you've done warm up sets what do your work sets look like what's happening in those work sets how many times uh, are you training the body part over the week how many work sets it work sets are you giving the body part over the week um and then you know what are you manipulating over time to keep the program being effective so a quick uh, synopsis on on basics. You know, when, when you are training um, for hypertrophy, I would recommend a twice a week uh, frequency of body parts. So train each body part uh, two times per week. Uh, I would look at between 10 and 20 work sets. And work sets are uh, sets that are taken close to the point of true muscle failure. So not volitional failure where, well, this set's getting a bit hard, I might stop now. It's like legitimate true muscle failure. And those that are a little more experienced with training sort of know when they're getting close to failure. And for those that are less experienced, they may not know but basically you'll see the uh, concentrics of the, the the push or pull of the the repetition start to slow maybe techniques start to become a little compromised that is probably you are getting close to um true muscle failure and independent of rep range so it could be a high rep range or a low rep range a heavier load low reps or a lighter load high reps it doesn't matter but if whatever the set is for it to be a, uh, I guess a Uh, conducive set to hypertrophy it just needs to go close to the point of true muscle failure so that's the first caveat that I would say work sets have to be taken there seems to be a uh, this magical five reps before you hit failure that are the most conducive to hypertrophy and all the reps you do before that are basically setting up the necessarily uh, the necessary uh, fatigue within the muscle fibers to get the full spectrum of muscle fibers recruited in the working muscle group but they only sort of come to the party if they, the set is taken close to failure. So if that is the case, and there are these sort of effective reps, we'll call them, towards the back end of the set, if you never go into failure, you're never going to get those stimulation of those uh, high threshold motor units and the necessary uh, muscle fibers that are more conducive to growth, the high threshold, larger type 2 muscle fibers, because you never take it close to the point of failure. So that could be one thing that someone's not doing, they're just not training hard enough. So a work set, the definition will be a set that's taken close to failure. The amount of sets i've said a couple of times a week frequency the amount of sets per body part per week a good rule of thumb is between 10 and 20 work sets so over the course of the week for quads if it's uh, a body part you want to focus on then it might be close to 20 sets twice per week you would do 10 each session five sets of leg press five sets of leg extensions twice per week there's your workout done that's legs quads and then hamstrings back chest would all be factored in as well but 10 to 20 work sets over the week. All those work sets are taken close to the point of failure. I would recommend uh, a variety of rep ranges, basically plenty of research to show you that you can use uh, heavier loads and low reps or light loads and high reps. Both do the same thing. It's just different ways to get to the same thing. And the The thing we're talking about is sufficient mechanical tension, on the muscle fibers involved in the movement. So to get that tension, if the light uh, load is light, you need to create more fatigue, so the the slow, easily uh, excitable, uh, smaller fibers will start doing the set with a light load, and then as they fatigue, the high threshold mode units will be recruited. Those type two fibers, they get stimulated. Great, effective reps. Those last five, we go close to the point of failure. Excellent. That twenty rep set, with the load that we used there, was a set that is going to drive hypertrophy, and that would be one of the ten to twenty sets that I'm talking about. The other end of the spectrum we do a heavier load we only get uh six reps well those six reps and we get close to the point of failure those high threshold units were pretty much recruited from the very first rep the smaller slow twitch muscle fibers just don't have the ability to generate force for that load because we chose a heavier load and we did six reps so that set is again one of those 10 to 20 sets and that is basically what you need to do I think when we're maximizing uh, a program that's maximizing hypertrophy have some low rep um, higher uh, load training and some high rep lower load training because each may have slightly different anabolic pathways that may uh, result in an increase in muscle protein synthesis because that's all we're doing we're creating uh, an elevation in muscle protein synthesis for the body part then we sleep eat protein etc cetera, etc cetera. the synthetic rate will peak a couple of days later it will come back down to baseline and guess what that's when we hit it the second time for the week second time we do the high rep work early in the week i like to program heavier loads back end of the week lighter loads hit train it again we get elevation muscle protein synthesis comes back down to baseline higher rep work is generally more fatiguing more muscle damaging so towards the back end of the week have a few more days rest come into it again on monday Boom, high rep work, uh, high load, low rep work again, and repeat the process over and over and over. 10 to 20 work sets, all work sets go to close to the point of failure. Low reps and high reps, for example, 8 reps and 20 reps, they're rep ranges that are used for the athlete's I coach. 8 reps being the low range, 20 yep. being high, yep. So the load that will allow you to only get 8 reps and load that will allow you to only get 20 reps and then yep. <coughs> and then uh, basically set up the, the back end, the environment, the lifestyle and everything f- to be conducive for hypertrophy. Um, you can keep the movements the same. You know, think of your PT toolbox. You don't wanna have tons of different exercises, like keep it pretty basic. Think about the the function of the muscle and that will dictate how many exercises you will need. Deltoid, well, we got front delt, side delt, rear delt, probably need three different exercises for that. Although front delt, you do a lot with pressing, so probably don't worry about that. But certainly side delt and rear delt, we probably wanna have exercises exclusively for those two. Um, Hamstrings, hip, hip extensors, knee flexors, probably wanna have two exercises there. Calves, um, gastro, probably wanna have two exercises. So think about what the muscles actually do to dictate how many exercises you will need. And then don't get overly caught up with variety. Exercises, I don't think, as long as you're getting, um, these are what I tell the athletes I coach. We wanna have a full range of motion. We wanna use good exercise technique. We wanna use a controlled tempo. We want to take sufficient rest periods to focus on performance, and we want to make sure there's no acute pain or discomfort while we're training. So they're the sweeping points, the golden rules of a hypertrophy-specific program. The athletes I work with. So as long as they adhere to those guidelines, then the uh, then they, they they should be fine by way of hypertrophy. And what they're looking for over time, uh, the exercises are. Hmm, you know, you we as individuals tend to have emotional. Oh, I got a back squat. Back squat's the king. No, you don't have to back squat. You can leg press. It's just fine. Left far less risk to reward with the leg press. You're gonna get great growth with the quads. I don't back squat any athletes I coach. Okay, and I put them on stage with huge quads. So, again, right tool for the right job. Again, if they're a powerlifter, probably want to squat. So, again, specificity. But don't get caught up with the dogma of these are best exercises. I Got to have this, got to have that. Think about what the muscle actually does. Choose exercises accordingly. Think about exercises that have the least amount of uh, chance of injury. Uh, that way you can take them through you know, lower rep ranges and higher rep ranges and like a high rep back squat, 20 reps. What do you think the body part's is going to get challenged the most? Lower back quads will be fine. Stick them on the leg press, you won't have that issue. So again, some uh, thought behind uh, exercise selection, but don't get too caught up in emotion. Muscles don't have emotions. We do. We tend to like lots of variety. Muscles don't care. They're just going to, you know, you're going to contract the muscle, moving the load from A to B. So think about those types of things. um, When we do choose exercises, you don't want to play all your cards at once. So I recommend programs will go anywhere from six to eight weeks. Too short a program. You don't, have really have the opportunity it's not broken so you don't need to fix it stick with the program for about six weeks and that way you will sort of get uh maximum benefit from the exercises and you will actually be able to see some progression over the six weeks anything shorter than that four three absolutely fine you just may not be able to quantify whether you're actually getting Growth over that time because you change it It could just be motor learning, maybe neural adaptations over the three weeks and you change the exercise. Did you get any actual structural changes? Was there any uh, contractile protein built over that period? I don't really know because I changed it every three weeks. Six weeks, okay, any neural adaptations, modal learning, that's gonna be sorted in the first week or two. Then if we're starting to see progression over time, the load's going up, then it's probably a result of contractile protein, not nervous system improvements outside of a complete beginner. Complete beginners don't know how to do anything, so they're gonna get a huge amount of strength increase due to motor learning. They just learn how to back squat, learn how to bench press. But for the rest of us that are a little bit more advanced, yeah i think longer style programs it's not broken don't fix it leave with it check the oh i like changes every three or four weeks okay that's just emotional choices take psychology out of it although we do have to come to the party and consider what someone likes to enjoy so i get you meet somewhere in the middle but six to eight weeks change it hit the muscle group from a slightly different angle same thing again run through that 10 to 20 sets work sets to failure low rep high rep full range of motion, good exercise technique, a control tempo, uh, rest periods focusing on performance, and of course no acute pain or discomfort at all times. And what we're looking for is a rep range is static. I don't use any advanced training techniques. I keep it super simple, straight set. And what I wanna see the athletes I coach um, achieve is progression over time. Understand like there's this thing, progressive overloads needed for hypertrophy. It's like, well, <clears throat> Here's another thought. Progressive overload is hypertrophy. So if you're seeing progressive overload, you're seeing hypertrophy. You've had adaptations and we're seeing the adaptations in the data we're recording. So again, if you don't record data, if you don't set up environments where you can take out all the, the murky uh, waters, all the, the, the noise, keep it simple, straight sets. If I start you know, four sets at uh, 100 kilos uh, week one and then I'm doing uh, for 10 reps and I'm doing at the end of week five, four sets for 115 kilos for 10 reps, the nervous system's not going to improve to get you 15 kilos on your bench press for someone that's intermediate or advanced. The only way that's happening is if I've built muscle. So we can use these training programs to, to some degree, quantify that we're actually seeing growth, but understand when you focus on progressive overload or you see progressive overload that's either the load increasing over time in the same environment, so we can't change reps and then see load increase. Well, it's a different environment. You went from eight reps to six reps. Of course you get stronger. So you got to keep, I think, keep reps static, keep the environment static. Uh, and you are a simple, simple, simple program design. You have two rep ranges, 8 and 20 reps, like I mentioned. For example, the cue that I give the athletes, what I want to see is more reps than the week prior at a given load. So last week they did say, that example, four reps, uh, four sets of 100 kilos on the bench press. Uh, for 10 reps, they got 10 at 100, then they got 8 and, and 7 and 7. Well, if they were eight rep range, we'd have to use the eight. So they got eight, then they got six, six, five. Okay. Then the following week they got um, well, if they did eight, they would have went up, but I'll give you the other point in a second. But say the following week they got eight, seven, seven, six. That's progression. Increase in reps. Increase in reps within the rep target that we've allocated. Following week they get eight, 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 eight. All eight's great. Then let's go up and wait. So it depends how you cue the load progressions, but they could be getting more reps than they did the week prior that's progression i'm happy with that the other thing that i cue them to do is if they hit a, a rep target so they do eight early in the week or 20 reps then they automatically increase the load on the next set so by doing that simple cue because the the, the million dollar question on the is next set or the next workout next set so it doesn't matter where the set falls if you happen to hit an eight rep target or a 20 rep target on the two different days for quads for example then you increase the load on the next set, smallest increment possible. Doesn't have to. You don't have to put on twenty kilos each side. It could be two point five kilos. It doesn't matter. But we're seeing progression, and by that simple cue, those ten to twenty sets. Now over time, they're going to get closer. And even if they got the volitional failure, you know, close to true muscle failure, a bit mixed up, and they weren't actually near failure, we didn't get those effective reps. Those five magical reps, it's not just five. It would be more than that. But let's assume it is close towards the back end of the set. Then if they keep adding this load, if they do hit an 8 or a 20, then eventually they're always going to get closer and closer and closer to the point of true muscle failure. So that simple cue, it takes guesswork out. Of it. It's like, oh, I did 8 reps, but the last one was a bit squirrely, You know, hmm, I think I'll, I'll do that weight again and I'll, I'll go for another 8. It's like, uh, uh-uh. You do 8 or 20, you go up on the next set is what I recommend still ultimately their choice they choose when they increase loads i never dictate what they have to do it's i recommend you go up it's up to you whether you take that on board but if they do do that joey they're always uh they're always going to be getting further and further um into that five effective reps and they're going to be closer and closer to the point of true muscle failure and the way you know at first glance it's like oh my god i gotta go up every week it's like well think of it like this if everything's working you need to go up every week for it to be the same environment because you're getting stronger so now 100 kilos is not effective you know you get you're not you're not close to the point of failure because you're stronger so now you got to do 105 to get those effective reps and then you know over time the 105 isn't effective anymore now you got to go 110 so understand it's always the same environment it's just that you're getting stronger over time so you will see the uh, performance increase, you are seeing hypertrophy, and that's what I encourage. And very motivating and empowering for the athlete. It's like, wow, I'm actually building muscle. I can see it. I didn't lift this last week, and now I lift it this week. This is unreal. In addition to checking skin folds, seeing how they are in the mirror, how shirts are fitting, whether they look pumped, all these things that we also use to gauge progression, we can actually see it firsthand in the data we're recording. So that's sort of some basic fundamentals and some concepts to get your head around really really simple doesn't have to be complicated uh i don't make it complicated i make it really and to the detriment of of this is a boring workout it's like yeah well you know you you get bored your muscles don't just just keep doing it and for my demographic they're in prep for a physique show so it's a little different you would sort of adapt that and change it working with Jen pop and maybe make the programs a little maybe five weeks a little bit Quicker, But still looking at those key fundamentals, and they're what I think uh, are relevant for hypertrophy over time. We want us to be seeing things change over time. Progressive overload by load going up over time in the same environment or getting more reps uh, over time within the rep ranges we've allocated – they are going to be quantifying as much as we can quantify without doing mris and you know all these types of things to see an of muscle mass because basically a bigger muscle is fundamentally and again basically it's not always but a stronger muscle uh so if we're seeing strength increase we're undoubtedly gaining muscle mass growing yeah more contractile just more of those filaments those myosin actin filaments thicker just cinching together it it sort of makes sense now strength over time is always two parts it's going to be morphological contractile protein size um, but also neurological so i get that but again if we're seeing someone that's not a beginner get these strength improvements over time the nervous system you can't learn how uh, these are dumb movements and i don't there's no disrespect to bodybuilders or you know people that uh focusing on physique preparation a bench press is not complicated you know a a lunge is not complicated sitting in the leg press is not complicated so it's not like wow you can learn to even better how to do a leg press it's like no, you put your feet up go down and push back up there's no complexity to it it's no skill acquisition there's no skill acquisition so with that in mind you know when we do see this performance over time increase it's probably the you know unless you can think of something else it's probably the result of you gaining muscle mass and the flip side. It's great point. So, so if we're not seeing it, then something's wrong. Why aren't we seeing it? okay let's have a look at sleep let's have a look at nutrition let's have a look at stress are you actually going close to the point of failure maybe you have just being a bitch in the gym and you need to suck it up and uh lift a little heavier so again there's there's many moving parts but once we get that data then we can start drawing conclusions and that's what i love getting it's data i like just getting the numbers and then making rational decisions rather than guessing if if that makes sense same with everything else i do
0: makes perfect sense um before i, I have a couple of things i want to ask about that uh, it's 10 to 11, what time do you have to go? Whenever
1: you uh, have finished with me.
0: Okay, cool. So I, we'll wrap it up on the sooner side, but I just, mm. there's a couple of things I wanted to dig into there. So for, say you walked into our gym this morning and, mm-hmm. and saw, you know, we there's no machines, Oh, that's right? a gym downstairs. Yeah, it? it's a
1: gym. I thought it was just <laughs> a stretching area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very right. well set up stretching area.
0: Thank you, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's mostly space, right? Yep. A bunch of free weights, uh, no dumbbells. And... The, you know, so so the, so the first thing to acknowledge, say for, for us, for our people training in, in this style of gym is that we don't have the machines that allow you to simplify exercises in sure. that way. So, you know, so say when we do on leg strength, it's there's a barbell on your back or there's a barbell in the front rack position, or, you mm-hmm. know, you're holding kettlebells, or whatever it is. Yep. For someone training that style and then looking at this, okay, well, I want to build a bit of muscle. So mm-hmm. I want to I try and find some simple movement patterns where I can Absolutely. really- get a few extra sets in maybe after the class, take it to fatigue and, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, help to elicit some growth. Yep. What would what might be a couple of your go-to, say, lower body exercises, up body yeah. exercises?
1: I mean, it's um, – now, I threw the squats under the bus. A fantastic movement and tons of strength. Uh, bodybuilding coaches, prep coaches will use back squats, absolutely. With my programs, I like to keep exercises the same. And for that reason, usually – now, if they only had barbells, then I'd probably opt for – not doing 20 reps and I might keep reps a little lower for the back squat. So definitely I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form that uh, certain exercises can't be used to grow muscle mass. I think I would get, uh, you know, lynched if I dared suggest that a, a back squat won't build muscle mass or, or a leg press will build muscle mass better. It's just, they are different tools to achieve that same outcome. So you could absolutely do a, a back squat, but I would be, um, I would be looking at, uh, like, yes, there are benefits to doing high rep work and, and low rep work, but it doesn't mean you have to do high rep work and low rep work. You could do middle rep work uh, 10 to 12s and just keep it there but you would still want to be seeing that progress over time you still want to be taking the sets close to the point of failure you still want to be hitting between 10 and 20 work sets so I gave you a couple of examples and I could articulate a little further you know the 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 low rep high load training is great you get the the high threshold and the fast twitch muscle fibers recruited from the get go and compared to lighter load where they sort of kick in and kick out and they'll reluctantly come to the party at the end of the set due to metabolic stress and fatigue if you were to put pin me down and say well what is better for getting the high threshold motor and those big muscle fibers recruited i'd say well heavy load training it is going to give you superior get stronger doing that and if you're stronger to the lat, you know add to you know greater a load being used for the high rep work at, at you know in in three months time probably so if you were to push me i would certainly say if you could only do one maybe lean towards the higher load training and you know, uh, 85, 80 to 85% plus uh, 1RM is is that, and then the lighter load would be around that 30%, 30, 30 to 40% 1RM. So you understand you can use, uh, and it's good if you come back from injuries, you know, you're in lighter load training and and it has, you know, there could be mitochondria benefits, capillarization benefits, extracellular matrix part of the muscle that don't get a, affected by the, the heavier load training could be remodeled with the high rep work um so that's beneficial there but then tendons and connective tissue actually uh upregulate and get strengthened with loads that are over 60 percent of 1rm so it's like well if you just do body weight you're never going to actually strengthen connective tissue and tendons like if you lift 60 plus plus 1rm so that has benefits you don't get that with the 30 to 40 percent 1rm so it's like and then connective tissue could be a rate limiting factor. Why would a muscle get when well, this is what you see in anabolics? So a muscle will get bigger than what the body wants it to get, and young guys tear tendons, pull biceps and pecs and bust themselves up because they get too strong for their tendons and connective tissue. Right. Tendons and connective tissue actually do have a synthetic rate after training, but it's far slower. It takes far longer to build strength in connective tissue and tendons compared to muscle. So when you know, again, nothing comes for free, anabolics, you know, the pros and cons. need to be aware of this and a lot will injure themselves because their muscles get so big and strong the tendons are still flimsy you know six months old so you want to think about that and and that's a benefit to doing the high load training but then too much high load training and not having you know the light load training now you're in the uh, world where now joints and connective tissue are going to get beaten up so it's sort of like well damned if you do damned if you don't but just understand that there's you can do it from both ends in a perfect world you're tackle hypertrophy, I think, from both ends of the spectrum. Like I said, different vectors of driving anabolism. But it's not to say you can't just use anywhere from 8 to 12 reps for your hypertrophy, but still look at the those fundamentals that I said – create an environment then assess that environment and you know focus on taking the sets close to the point of failure and uh, adding that load or reps over time compared to the the week prior and, and it's, it might not always be linear it might not be a week it might be you have had hypertrophy but you just can't see it because you're jumping from 10 kilos to 12.5 kilos up so you don't have a 2.5 kilo increase in contractile protein it might be 11 so sometimes we're limited with machines and weights we've got we might even though we've had hypertrophy not be able to see it yet so that can be an issue with with load progressions but micro loading is really good if you've got the little things you can clip on or really light plates but yeah the back squat's good i mean your rdls you got pressing you got rows I mean, all these movements are are great and it's the same as now do machines have a benefit they have, um, there's actually a recent study that did uh, free weights and machines. Menno posted on it recently on his page, Menno Hanselman's, if you want to check it out. And that one showed that machines got just as much hypertrophy as uh free weights, so they're both mm-hmm. great for hypertrophy. There's no superior exercise, it, unless of course you're thinking about different rep ranges and then risk to reward and um, you know, certain uh, stabilizing muscles becoming fatigued in that environment. So, yeah, I would um. You know, uh, an exercise is an exercise is an exercise. It's really what happens in that exercise that is going to get the growth response that you're after. So, if you tick the boxes with those things that I said, you know, think of exercises that have a full range of motion, you know, use good exercise technique, a control tempo. What does that mean? Well, controlled, eccentric, concentric. You should be able to pause that tempo at any point in time. That way, you're in control. Don't dive bomb reps. Uh, Controlled the eccentric and then a forceful concentric. Take rest periods that focus on performance. That's been shown in the research that longer rest periods equal more hypertrophy, and it's probably because you can lift more load if you're not huffing and puffing and cardiovascular More effective system. set. Yeah, exactly. They get those, uh, the better recruitment of those muscle fibres, and, of course, no acute pain or discomfort. One of the things that the body is really, really good at is telling us when something's about to go. If we do a movement and say we do a, a skull crusher for the first time, elbows hurt, skull crushers aren't for you. Don't do them. Don't, Not don't, right now. No. Well, yeah, it might just be that movement you avoid skull crushes. but the triceps press down, close grip triceps press, or even overhead rather than horizontal. Well, that's okay. But on your back, skull crusher to the uh, that's problematic. So, really pay attention when there's pain. Um, that's one thing that I would throw out there. Um, but yeah, all, all, all the movements that you just, that you can think of uh, with just a barbell or kettlebells, you know, they're great. You just want to think about can we progress. Uh, in load over time. Um, Now, again, what if you don't have load progression? Okay, then it's sort of, I think you have to probably shoot for, um, you know, that higher rep work. So say, you know, you've got only uh, two 10s on your your barbell, it's 40 kilos, you know, and you've got strong quads, then it's not really going to, doing eight reps, a low rep set, it's not really going to achieve it. So sometimes you have to gravitate to those, higher rep range is simply to take the set to the point of failure but i think it's important to understand it's not doom and gloom if you don't have load it's like well it is doom and gloom because you've got to do high reps but you get a high metabolic stress and uh, take the you know it might be 30 reps anything over 30 reps you're starting to get to that point where it just takes so long to get the fatigue and the the necessary recruitment of those muscle fibers has just come it's not effective so up to about 30 30 maybe 40 absolute tops reps but beyond that it's just pointless you try and find some more load basically but um and then advanced training techniques you can do sort of supersets and giant sets and all that type of stuff but that's a conversation for another time
0: right on that's for the advanced episode (laughs) yeah tell me can i can i throw a couple of quick fire questions at you regarding nutrition sure um and a couple of these came through from our from our tribe people wanted to know sure this first one you're gonna love it oh, this yeah. is the one um but you've already touched on ideal protein intake is between 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilogram body mass two, two grams that are on the side of caution two yep. grams um what is the best macro split to increase lean mass and lose fat
1: <laughs> no um i think i, I am a coach that, that will tell you calories are king <clears throat> So really it's going to – we need to be – well, you you can reduce body fat and build muscle mass, absolutely. Again, if you set the program up where you're tracking performance and you're forcing uh, adaptation and growth, you can get away with growing muscle even though you're deficit – in a calorie deficit. But generally speaking, you want to be manipulating that energy balance, how much energy you need for homeostasis – Uh, to some degree either increasing your output so it creates a deficit or decreasing your input okay less calories to get fat loss so that needs to be occurring on average over time be it in a over a seven day period some days you're in a deficit other days at maintenance but it has to collectively be in a deficit over time so the macro split isn't as important beyond, and they've shown this in the research, beyond hitting your protein target. So that would be the golden rule for for you You guys know this already, but for the average punter, they typically under-eat protein. So I think hit your protein target, and then some days if you got the remaining macros from fats and less from carbohydrates, maybe a day where you're not training... You can have your whole eggs. You can have your, you know, your avocado and your, 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 your more fats on that day. Great. Again, respect the energy balance, and that's what it's about. It's understanding energy balance and respecting it, understanding where your maintenance is roundabout, and then just manipulating the variables up or down. Uh, or you might choose, well, I'm going to train today, and I train better. When I want to have higher carbohydrates, so I'm going to run fats down low. I'm still going to hit my protein, but I'm going to run higher macro of carbohydrates on this day. That would be the general advice I would give. The the minutiae of, um, you might have some saying, well, carbs are better for training than fats, but yeah, maybe a little. And if you really depress me, I would say, yeah, on training days have higher carbohydrates, and that's what I do with with the athletes I coach. It would certainly be high uh, carbohydrates Monday through Saturday and then zero pretty much or very low carbohydrates and high fats on Sunday. It allows me to get fats in over a seven-day period, sufficiently and allows me not to muddy the waters with carbs and fats on training days it's purely protein and carbs and that takes on the uh head space again of the athlete boom it's training time it's all protein and carbs and well it's relaxed time it's protein and fats go to the cafe Mm. have the breakfast that type of stuff they kick back and relax recover and start again the following monday so protein hit that and then on days if you want more fats have fats but tracking everything and adjusting things accordingly it won't really affect your ability to build muscle mass outside of maybe you train a bit harder but you could train a bit harder on protein and fats anyway maybe psychologically it might be more challenging but Um, there shouldn't be any real physiological reason why a lower carbohydrate higher fat environment will compromise your training performance in the world that we're talking about not endurance training just for hypertrophy training you actually don't need a ton of glycogen to do that so yeah i think in general uh, protein and carbs around training protein and fats away from training uh, is how i'd recommend it but hit protein target
0: Cool. And, and if you are looking to lose body fat, stay in a deficit?
1: Basically, yeah. or, or Yeah, in deficit created by um, uh, output going up. So you might move a little more or input coming down. You just consume a less, or a combination of both. You might do just move a little more, start get your steps up first, see what that does, monitor things every one to two weeks, make an adjustment. But again, if you've got tons of moving parts, you're comparing apples with oranges, and you know I hate apples <laughs> with oranges. I like comparing apples with apples. So be consistent be structured then adjust things over time
0: good call simplistic mm. um do you see is there really any difference
1: between men and women in that discussion or as i don't really see uh, how they could be look some suggest that uh being high uh, estrogen dominant their tolerance of carbohydrates for women maybe not as much as for men uh, they might work better on higher fat, less carbs. but I think really think about the environment that they're existing is in. Are they doing a big training volume? Are they doing a lot of hypertrophy training? You know are they doing some endurance training as well? Well, that environment probably warrants rather than male or female, that environment warrants more carbohydrates for recovery. It's the preferred fuel source. But yeah, if you were to really press me, there might be some um, legitimate literature and, and research to show that the toleration of carbohydrates, the females might not be as good with males, but I think um, it's still calories that are king, and and that that's going to be the the main thing that's going to influence uh, body composition change and, and managing the energy balance. Uh, but think about the environment that set individual is in, whether it's going to be an environment that requires more carbohydrates with a lot more training volume, or lower carbohydrates, and uh, and on top of that, you may find some nuances with some individuals just feel a little better maybe they and be it psychological or whether they they legitimately physiologically are, are better performing with more protein and fats compared to protein and carbs but you can sort of fluff around with that as well like get them to have protein and carbs in meal one how they feel that day how was cognition and then do protein and fats did you feel better you know what was your brain function like so some might uh, prefer protein and fat to protein and carbs at different times throughout the day but again that's the minutiae it's still total calories and i think um protein targets are going to be predicated on weight of individual women typically are going to be lighter than men so it'll be less protein less total calories for maintenance uh so yeah we more think of the environment that they're in what to influence whether it's higher carbohydrate or fat macro
0: makes sense Roland dubois
1: that was a fucking excellent episode <laughs> well hopefully you enjoyed it uh, I do carry on a little bit uh, but we covered everything and, and yeah I, by no means am I suggesting what I've suggest that I spoke about for you guys uh, is the only way to do things uh, I think there's plenty of ways to get uh, physique uh, you know, in shape and change body composition, they're my thoughts on a few things. Uh, certainly for hypertrophy, they're just my take on what I've read and, and, and things that I've seen and uh, put into practice. And certainly on PEDs, like I threw that out, Like it's something that intrigues me and probably like it does you. Uh, you know, when I, and I do sort of learn about that type of stuff, but in no way, shape, or form I, I, am I an expert uh, in that field. Um, so yeah I just want to throw that but yeah I absolutely love coming in and uh, you know if you ever want to have me on again I would be more than happy to come down and talk shop so oh yeah uh, yeah absolute pleasure and thanks for the opportunity Joey pity the uh, the other boys weren't I could have got uh, well and truly grilled by uh, <laughs> grilled by everyone but maybe next time
0: 100% next time we'd love to have you back on and awesome. um, yeah man thanks for making the trip down to Botany I think you know something just to what you just mentioned as sort of the information that you've put out not being necessarily the only way. But I think that really what's central to this whole discussion is that you have to, there's many ways to skin the cat. Mm. You, You have to choose something and you have to follow, you have to choose a process and you have to follow it for a long period of time.
1: Yeah, for for a sufficient length of time and that will vary from person to person but understand genetics are king. Um, That's gonna influence your speed of changing body composition but but really a lot of the time you find that, that those individuals that maintain a certain physique that you might aspire to uh, look like, are uh, uh, just really diligent and consistent with everything. And they've been doing it for a while and they know it works. So from the outside, the game, it's like, they don't do anything. It's like, well, actually their steps are, their activity is really good. They're very, very consistent with the training. They never miss the training. They don't go out, they don't drink. You know, there's lots of, again, moving parts that can influence things. So yeah, consistency is key. It's a bit of a cliche, but I, I think that's the first place to start and then assess and adjust things along the way from there. But it all starts with setting something up, uh, and being consistent with it. And then, yeah, and then when it's not working, that's cool. It's great. It doesn't matter that it's not working. It's like, oh, well, I was consistent for the last two to four weeks. It didn't really change what I wanted to see change. So I'm going minu- to move something, adjust it, reassess. A couple of weeks later, great, this worked. Stop working two weeks after that, great, let's adjust something else. It's really, it's uh, hashtag not rocket science. It's pretty simple stuff.
0: Mate, if people want to. <coughs> hear your podcast or get in touch with yep. you or see what you do, where do they go?
1: Under the Bar podcast, um, that's where Tommy Hewitt and I don the uh, the white lab coats on and pretend to be doctors and research scientists but have a lot of fun there. Very fortunate to interview many cool uh, people from the industry. So Under the Bar podcast, so you can check that on iTunes and SoundCloud, I think, but or uh, uh, we have a website, underthebarpodcast.com. Uh, or the Dubois method, you can follow me on Instagram or, or Facebook and, or Rawdon Dubois on Facebook, hit me up. I'm always up for a uh, talk and shop if you buy coffee. Mate, this is the first sort of, what's, what's the cold press or something? I don't know what Today it is, we're drinking
0: uh, filter brew from Panavore Cafe, which is in Pagewood. Mm-hmm. And they do Mecca, that's their bean of choice. So we're drinking their, that's the Mocker Master that they've given ah, us for the show. Good. So we're drinking their beans through the Mocker Master. Not bad. I, M- you're an espresso guy.
1: Me. Yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. Syrupy. Yeah, I like the viscosity of an espresso. Yeah, it's thick. Well put. Sticks to the side of the cup. That's uh, a good espresso for me. But uh, yeah, just Instagram, Facebook. Um, happy. We'll, we'll talk for coffee. So I'm at Surrey Hills. Come and buy me coffee. I want to talk about whatever you
0: Good like. man. And Dubois is Dubois for those that don't get the spelling. Yeah, D-U-B-O-I-S. <laughs> yeah,
1: Dubois. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> man, thanks again. And Thanks um, so much. Fuck, look forward to having you on again sometime.
1: Awesome. Look forward to it.
0: Cheers. Guys, thanks for listening. Um, hopefully you got a bunch out of that. If you want to share that episode, that'd be awesome for us. Take a screenshot of it, post about it, tag Jungle Brothers, send it to a mate, send it to your smallest mate who needs to get big. Um, we appreciate you guys supporting the show and the more you do that, the more we can get on awesome guests like Rawdon. Um, thanks to Panavort Cafe for providing the brewers that are always keeping us fueled. And upcoming events, we've got the fight night on the 12th of December. It's going to be an online stream. We now have two new sponsors on board Famous Soda and Damn Good Wines. Um, they will be uh, providing wines and sugar free beverages for the VIP guests to partake in on the evening. But a uh, bunch of good things happening that night, and all the money goes, or all the proceeds go towards Rise Foundation Australia to assist their quest to help improve mental health in Australia. So um, keep your eyes out for that. We'll be posting the shit over on Instagram, and uh, thank you for supporting. Cheers, fam. We'll catch you next week.